Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning, though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years, or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due to you. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendour to their children. May the favour of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. <clears throat> it's very good to see you. My name is Rupert Webster, and I've been asked to speak uh, this morning as part of our series during August in the book of Psalms. And in fact, this will be the last in our series uh, before uh, we start a new series in, in the autumn in the book of Colossians. Uh, so today we're going to be looking at uh, the, uh, this psalm, Psalm 90, which was read by Peter a moment ago, under the title, The Heart of Wisdom. So why don't I pray as we get started. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you are a speaking God, that you speak to us through your word. And we pray that you'd give us ears to listen now and that our hearts may be made into hearts that are wise for your glory's sake. Amen. So this psalm is in the form of a prayer and a prayer that was written by Moses, probably at the time of the exile. And as we know from the Old Testament, uh, Moses faced significant challenges and frustrations as he sought to lead God's people at that time. 
And it's probable that at this time his readers, his first readers, needed reassurance that their service of God was not futile. Psalm 90 presents the greatness of God and his eternal nature contrasted with mankind's frailty and mortality. We are mortal. We are all dying. And without a right view of these things, we can be tempted to live in a fantasy world. Well, it may be, uh, like me, that you've uh, spent some time over the last couple of weeks uh, putting together your fantasy league team for the, first, for the new football season. I haven't done that in a while and have been encouraged to do so. And it's quite fun living in that fantasy world, uh, spending your imaginary millions on football players who might win you some points in the vain hope of defeating the one and only Dan Hawkins, who I understand is the champion in these, this, these area. Uh, his fantasy team is called Buyer Never Losing, clearly the one to beat. Uh, however, if we live in a fantasy world, uh, we can be tempted to value things which are worthless in an eternal sense, and perhaps to have the wrong view of ourselves. So we might value money and possessions wrongly, or have an inflated or wrong view of ourselves. So this psalm encourages us to face up to the inescapable reality that we are all mortal, we are all dying. The Bible says that we would be wise to wake up to this fact. The reality of death puts things in their right perspective. The story is told, you may have heard it, of Louis XIV, known as the Sun King, magnificent in the splendor of his court and the opulence of his, uh, of his kingship. And in the lead up to um, his dying in 1715, he ordered that for his funeral, the whole of Notre Dame Cathedral should be in absolute darkness, with the exception of one candle over the top of his golden coffin, as if to emphasize his greatness. And very bravely, at the start of the service, the court preacher, Massillon, walked over to the coffin, snuffed out the candle, and began his address by saying, only God is great. Death forces us to face up to reality. So in verse 12 of our psalm, we read, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So we're going to look at three aspects of God's nature revealed in this psalm, each of which will show us something about ourselves too. And I hope will help us to gain that heart of wisdom and give us a sense of purpose in our service of God. So our three headings are God's eternity in verses two to six, God's judgment in verses 7 to 12, and God's mercy in verse 1 and verses 13 to 17. So to start off with, God's eternity, verses 2 to 6. Have a look with me at verse 2. We read in verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And wasn't it good to sing that song, reminding us of that wonderful truth? To paint a picture of this, Moses uses the phrase, before the mountains were born. Well, when something is very old, we often refer to it as as old as the hills. Mountains are seen as immovable objects that have stood the test of time. 
But it is God that put them there. It is God who brought forth the whole world. He is the magnificent, awesome creator God who is eternal. A thousand years in his sight, reading on in verse 4, are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. A watch was a period of sentry duty lasting just a few hours during the night. And here they're being compared to a thousand years in God's sight. God is eternal and sees things from a very different perspective to us. He is eternal and he is immortal. In our house, uh, we've very much enjoyed over recent weeks watching the Olympics, I'm sure you have too, and have admired the incredible exploits of our Team GB athletes. One of the most extraordinary members of that team is Adam Peaty, I think you'll agree. Uh, you may well have seen his, he- his name in the headlines, such as this one. As someone seeking or even attaining to sporting immortality. I guess we know what they mean, the headline writers, that his achievements are so amazing that he'll never be forgotten. But Adam Peaty, for all his amazing strength and skill, is still mortal. He will still die. In the future, he may well get ill. He will age, and those bold tattoos will look somewhat different on wrinkly skin. God is immortal, but we are mortal. Or in other words, we are dust. Have a look at verse 3. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. Verse 3 is a reference back to Genesis. So we read in Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Then in Genesis 3. By the sweat of your brow... You will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. We are dust. Compared to God's eternal nature, our lives are fleeting. And verses 5 and 6 illustrate just how temporary our lives are. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. The image here is of grass in a Middle Eastern climate, which springs up new, but is quickly withered away in the beating sun. Uh, And we might find that a bit difficult to relate to with our climate. Uh, But perhaps we could take the image of blackberries. So it's the blackberry season coming up. Uh, We very much look forward to the blackberry season in our household, and particularly when the boys are a bit younger. We used to go out with all three boys and a dog and see how many blackberries we could actually return with. And often, the end result looks something like this. All too often, the blackberries that we'll see spring up in the next few weeks will be gone in just a few weeks. Before we know it, they'll have withered and no longer be any good for eating. And in the same way, when you consider the eternal nature of God... Our lives are fleeting, here today and gone tomorrow. So why? Why are our lives brought to an end in this way? Is this normal? Is it natural? Well, in one sense, it is normal, isn't it? We all die. However, it isn't actually part of God's good design. 
It is as a result of our sin. So that leads us to our second point, God's judgment. If we look at verse 7, it says, We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. We are brought to an end by God's anger, God's righteous, settled anger at our sin. And there is no sin that escapes God's judgment. His light, verse 8, shines on all our sin. And our years are brought to an end like a moan. And perhaps we might feel like that sometimes, that life feels like a prolonged effort that comes to nothing. However, as Derek Kidner puts it, whose commentary I've been reading on on the Psalms, the setting here is the fall which reveals death as our sentence, not our intended lot. So death is as a result of sin, our sin. It is not the way God designed things to be. Now it strikes me that pretty much everyone recognizes the inevitability of death itself. And most recognize that life in the, in, in the meantime will often be a struggle with some suffering along the way. But to what extent do we see the one thing as a consequence of the other? Have a look with me at verse 11. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due to you. Can we perhaps have a tendency to bury our heads in the sand and ignore the prospect of God's future judgment? For the reality is, that all of life is overshadowed to some extent by death because we're sinners in a world under sin. So all of this, it seems, paints quite a bleak and hopeless picture. Our lives are a fleeting moment in which we suffer, then die. They can feel like a purposeless existence with an inevitable conclusion. However, you'll be pleased to hear that the verses of this psalm we've not yet considered put things in a very different complexion. It is right that we understand our mortality and our frailty juxtaposed with God's eternity and his great judgment on sin. A foolish heart, after all, lives as if we were immortal, ignoring God and living in a fantasy world. And in that fantasy world, we may have the wrong view of created things and a wrong view of ourselves. But a wise heart remembers every day that we are transient, here today and gone tomorrow, because of our sin. And as we learn to number our days, to consider our mortality and God's eternity, we gain a heart of wisdom. What is more, we can acknowledge and appreciate all the more God's abundant mercy. So that leads me on to our third point, God's mercy. So the plea of Moses' prayer in verse 13 is for for God to have compassion. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. And he's already recognized in verse 1 the Lord as our dwelling place throughout all generations. And this is the refrain we see in Deuteronomy, for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 33. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. 
And with the benefit of a New Testament viewpoint, we know that Moses' prayer for compassion is something that has been answered. So in his second letter, Peter picks up on God's eternal nature and his abundant mercy in 2 Peter chapter 3. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So how does he do this? Well, Jesus, God's son, who was dust just like us, who was born as a human being, who felt hunger and thirst, sadness and joy, just like us, who was fully human, yet fully God. He died on the cross. He passed away under God's wrath, not because of his own sin, but because of ours. But the eternal God raised him to new life so he could live forever. And this is the offer he makes to us too, if we choose to trust in him. Death is not the end, it is the door to a new life. And nowhere is this put more plainly than in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And this is wonderful news for those of us who have put our trust in Jesus. We're no longer condemned. We no longer need to live with the shadow of death hanging over us. For there is a life beyond death. Can you see in the psalm that the contrast is made between all our days in verse 9 and again the same phrase in verse 14, all our days. So in verse 9, all our days passing away under God's wrath in other words, what we deserve. And then in verse 14, all our days rejoicing and being glad. In other words, what we get by God's mercy. And Moses goes on to pray in verse 15 that God would make us glad for as many days as he has afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. But of course, we know that this prayer has not only been answered but surpassed. Of course, we do have to live with the fact that our bodies are still subject to decay in a fallen world. We will still get ill and our bodies will die, but we can look forward to an eternity with God. So we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Well, in the light of the mercy God has so kindly shown us, there are three things this psalm encourages us to pray that I'd like to pick out for us now. So first of all, we can pray that God would continue to teach us in verse 12. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. These are not easy lessons to learn. It takes humility 
uh, to number our days and to seek God's wisdom instead of asserting our own strength and independence. So we can ask God to continue to teach us. We can ask God to satisfy us, verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. We can know as Christians great satisfaction in God's unfailing love. His love is constant in all circumstances. One of my sons regularly prays at family prayer time in the evenings. Thank you, Lord, that you love us in everything we do. I think he knows, I hope, uh, that God doesn't love everything we do. He doesn't love our actions necessarily. But in all situations, at all times, he never stops loving us. And we can take great satisfaction in that. And thirdly, we can pray for God to establish us. Now that phrase is a bit more difficult to get our heads around. I think it means to give us purpose. To establish the work of our hands in verse 17. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. (laughs) If life can sometimes seem futile and meaningless as the Israelites were finding in exile. We can trust that our work for God is not in vain. Just as the eternal God, in verse 16, is able to show his own deeds and his splendor to his children, he is also able to bring results from our humble efforts. He gives significance to what we do when we do it for him and not for ourselves. So we can have a true meaningful, purposeful life in service of God. And our work can have an enduring impact even though we're so transient. And I'd like to think that that is the case for all of our work, Uh, not just work that might be done in church, but work that is done in secular work. Uh, For we're, we're told, aren't we, to work as if working for the Lord. And he is able to give us a purposeful life working for him and his glory. So to summarize, this world cannot satisfy, but if we come to God for mercy, there is hope, joy, meaning, and satisfaction, which we can know in this life, and much, much more in eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are an eternal God. We thank you that you are a God who judges. And we thank you for your great mercy that you've shown to us. Please, Lord, would you continue to teach us that we would bow to your wisdom, your greatness, and your eternity. And would you satisfy us as we know that we are loved by you And would you too, Lord, establish the work of our hands? Would you help us to have a sense of purpose as we serve you in this life and as we look forward to an eternity with you? In Jesus' name, amen.